by the time I was seven years old, um, I, I was already a human rights activist or a child rights advocate, as you may put it. Um, I, we started a club. I started a club with my brother um, to, it was during the military era in Nigeria, to uh, advocate for children's rights. I started from being maltreated in school and we were saying, no, teachers can't beat us. Um, yeah, even if teachers have to uh, punish us, they shouldn't maltreat us. So we, we started that, uh, got involved in UNICEF's project, and then we, we started. But that Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways with great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Hi, everybody. Well, this is a special treat today. I'm speaking to somebody from Nigeria, the very famous and wonderful improviser, Dami. Hello. Hi, my God. Thank you so much for traveling all the way to Nigeria via Zoom. Yes, Welcome it's to wonderful. Nigeria. It's wonderful. I'd like to have some food that's native to your country. I don't know. What would you suggest? We could get you some fufu, um, some pounded yam, and the most important one, which is the most popular one, which is the jollof rice. Mm, sounds great to me. That's, uh, that's rice um, uh, cooked in tomato paste and then served with some wonderful tasty chicken, um, maybe chicken wings and laps. Wonderful. You, you Wonderful. go to any event, uh, whether naming ceremony or wedding or birthday party or even funeral and you don't have a plate of jollof rice, you haven't visited any um, occasion. Well, I'll remember that. So we met through our mutual friend, Beth, medical improviser and uh, who's a delightful, and you met her in California. So let's start right away with your improv story. Like, tell me about your life as a little boy or a teenager and were you into acting first? So let's go back, let's go back, back in time and tell me about your life and then how you got into improv. Uh, I think I started improvising at the age of um, four years, probably before then, uh, but uh, my memory brings me back to improvising um, in, um, in, in my community with other children. So we all come back from school and then we sit down and we start um, playing and doing performance. And uh, a lot of times you don't even know where the play will lead, but we just improvise and just play along. Um, one of the one of the plays always based on police and thief or daddy and mommy, and then so we just cast ourselves and without any script, without any lines. Okay, so you're daddy, you're mommy. Uh, no, 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 I'm police. You're I'm Baba. I'm gonna shoot you. And then um, that's as far back as when I was four years old. Uh, we just play and we improvise. Yeah, there might be some um, difference with that and improvisational theater because of course with that we have planned, we, we've decided who is playing what uh, role. But we, what we don't plan is um, we don't plan whatever we're gonna say. Uh, we just flow and we do uh, long stories based on the first prompt we have, which is, oh, you are daddy, I am mommy. And then we start acting like, okay. Uh, also, I, I remember that when I was that young, I, I have a favorite character I play. Uh, it's called DK DK. DK DK means um, someone that um, mends a broken plastic. Someone that mends a broken plastic. So we used to have these um, professionals in court uh, who mends broken plastic. 
And so uh, my grandmother used to have a restaurant when I was growing up and then she has a plastic, she keeps some money. So once people pay for whatever stuff, they, the food and um, the soup they buy, um, she keeps the money there. So I carry that bucket in my shoulder and I carry a stick and I beat that stick. I'm like, mommy, mommy, let's assume I'm Mr. DK, DK. So that's, um, they call that the that's a professional in quotes, uh, other person, DK, DK, because they, that describes the kind of work they do. And I begin to play, oh, okay, so you want to, you want to mend your plastic, bring it, let me help you. I, I just improvised that. Uh, uh, at that stage, I was also in church drama group uh, where I, I think my, the first um, performance I remembered I, I ever did was um, a Bible character um, for the, um, the, the performance of the Cain and Abel story. And I, I was around four-ish, five at that point. Um, so that was uh, another uh, thing. By the time I was seven years old, um, I, I was already a human rights activist or a child rights advocate, as you may put it. Uh, I, we started a club. I started a club with my brother. Um, to, it was during the military era in Nigeria to uh, advocate for children's rights. I started from being maltreated in school and we were saying, no, teachers can't beat us. Um, yeah, even if teachers have to uh, punish us, they shouldn't maltreat us. So we, we started that, uh, got involved in UNICEF's project, and then we, we started. By that point, I knew that there was something different I wanted to do. So most times we go for conferences, we go for seminars and workshops. And I said to myself, no, this is not what I really want to this is what I want to do, but this is not how I want to do it. Uh, at the point, I, I started writing plays that speaks back to children's issues. And as, I, and as an advocate, I felt, oh, I could be a lawyer. Uh, but then I knew that if you study law in Nigeria, you can, you're not allowed to act. I don't know if that's the same thing in America. No. And no. If, you, if you also want to act, you cannot practice as a lawyer. So even if you study law, you cannot practice uh, um, theater. So I had a conversation with my um, Sunday school teacher then, and I told her that I, I love acting. And then I also love, um, I also wanted to be an advocate. I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to fight for people's rights. And she asked me a question, which of it can you do with another? So I, I reflected on that question and I, I came, um, to the conclusion that as, an, as a theater artist, I can actually be an ad activist. I can be an advocate for people's rights. I can write plays that talks about stories, that talks about humanities, and, and, um, uh, and then um, put them on stage. So I, I dropped at the age of, by that time I was eight, dropped uh, my ambition to be a lawyer. I was quite young, but I knew what I wanted to be. Um, so I dropped, I think I had an uncle who was a lawyer. So that was um, um, a, like a, um, like a mentor or, or a picture of myself in the future I was seeing. So that probably prompted me to want to be a lawyer apart from being an activist at a very tender age. I also started um, a TV program talking about human rights, children's rights um, in Nigeria when I was nine years old. I was the youngest, um, the first um, age nine TV presenter and producer um, in Nigeria at that point. And I, I anchored that program till I was 18 and I still produce um, children's programs to date. Um, so now I train young people to do broadcasting, to present and then um, talk about social issues. And I think that actually influenced a lot of my work today. Um, I started out when I was nine, and then I, I, uh, I started from having to do once, once, in a, once or twice in a year during the International Children's Day of Broadcasting. And then I spoke with my producer then at the TV station, and I said, oh, I have this idea I've been wanting to do for two years. And luckily for me, she was also looking for a program to produce. So we co-produced it. I was presenting and then I did that. 
Fast forward. Okay. Um, I, this is so amazing that at that young age, most kids that age in my country are playing video games or whatever. I mean, this is you're blowing my mind. Okay, please go. I, ahead. I think I think we we never had the I never had the opportunity to play video games, and that's why to date I never in it's not something of interest to me. I never had the opportunity to do sports. Um, um, my parents never allowed us to play. They wanted our our skin to be remain fresh, so we don't get any injuries or we don't join any gangs or or getting friends by the society. So go to school, come back, stay home, read your book. Um, I, I remember that even when I started acting and I started, uh, I was watching one of the movies I did when I was about 11, um, some few uh, days ago. Uh, I just searched for it on YouTube and I found myself, I was pretty young, um, doing a movie on TV. And some of those movies I would practically lie to my mom that I was going to school and then I would go for auditions. Um, and then, because I, I knew what I wanted, even though my, my, I lost my dad at the age of nine when I was nine. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. I was raised oh. by my mom and my grandmom. So they wanted to make sure that they really protect us from um, societal influence. And yeah. then, so yeah. they did. You have brothers and sisters. Um, yes, I had uh, one brother. I had one um, um, sibling and um, I had, I also had, um step siblings basically um but i had one biological sibling and then we, we were restricted from being part of any form of even riding bicycle was a taboo but we would still do it we go ahead and then we go rent um we rent bicycles we never have a bicycle i've never had a bicycle of my own and i wish to have one uh, very soon i've always wanted to have one I never had one as a child, so mm -hmm. uh, I I just knew that I wanted theater. So I was in church drama group. People really uh, acknowledged my fact, the fact that I was very good in acting. I wanted to do music. I started a musical group, but I never had the voice for music. So each time people were like, "Oh, sorry, you just sang on stage. That was very horrible." <laughs> oh. <laughs> But uh, when I had to act, people were like, oh, God, I love your confidence. I love uh, your, your, your teach, the, 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 how audible you are. And without, I, never needed, I never needed a mic. Um, <laughs> I, I went back. I started acting in movies. I did a couple of movies and soap operas in Nigeria. But I still knew that wasn't what I wanted. I wasn't in about auditions and I wasn't in about uh, generals. So I dropped out when I was 14. I told myself I wasn't going for any auditions again. Um, I went to study theater in university at the age of 15. I had my first degree in theater. Um, I, my mother wanted me to do mass communication because she knew I was already doing TV. And then she thought, oh, theater might be a joke. Um, Mass communication might be more serious. Uh, she raised it once. What, what, she raised it through my pastor's wife. She didn't tell me directly. She raised <laughs> it through my pastor's wife. And I said, no, that's not what I want. I don't want to be a mass, communica uh, mass communicator. I, I want to be a theater artist. So I went to study theater. I had my first degree in theater. I majored in acting. Went back to school. Did my second degree in theater. Majored in directing. At that point, while my mates were studying theater to become actors and become celebrities and go for auditions. I was a rebel. I, I said, no, I, this is not why I wanted to study theater. I wanted this theater because of humanity, not because of myself as an individual. Uh, I don't want, I yes, I love the fame. It's very interesting when you work on a student like, I, they call you by your character name. And uh, like, oh, we saw you. Uh, we saw you on TV. That was so good. Very good. Thank you. I I love that. I love the fame, but it wasn't going to give me the satisfaction um, over what I wanted to do in in real life. 
So even though I was majoring in directing, I knew that was not what I wanted. I wasn't. I, I, so when I had practicals and projects, I was doing plays that talk about politics, that talks about humanity, and my it it's actually made my supervisor, my lecturer, very mad because it was like, what are you doing? This is not how theater is. Theater is about acting. I'm like, no, for me, theater is not about acting. Theater is about changing lives. So I, I received a lot of threats. Um, I, a lot of times, one of them threatened to fail me because I was doing theater in an unconventional way. So I, I started uh, a methodology called theater for advocacy. So I, de I defined what my theater was for. I was writing plays for advocacy. And then when I was leaving school, one of my lecturers told me, oh, when you leave studying theater, please go back and um, study political science because it seems you're more of a politician than, an art than a theater artist. Uh, but I was like, well, this is me. I'm not, I don't want to be like every other person. So when I left um, school for my second degree, I was lucky to meet um, a lecturer who came in on sabbatical from the UK to my university in Nigeria. He was a Nigerian, rather he's a Nigerian. He, he actually serves on the board of, of my organization today. And he told me about the applied drama um, course. Um, he told me about a university in South Africa where I could study, I could do my master's because I had approached him that I wanted to do my master's in theater, even though people felt I wasn't going to study theater uh, outside school. So I, I, I applied to study theater, uh, to study applied drama and theater um, in the, at the University of Bedwaterstrand uh, at Drama for Life. There's a, co a, a, a program called Drama for Life. So they, we, they run courses on drama therapy, applied drama and theater, and art education. So uh, I traveled to Drama for Life. I studied, I did, I then was asked to do another honors, another BA honors in applied drama and theater. Uh, so I, I did another BA honors in applied drama and theater. I got exposed to improv. I got exposed to um, Augusto Boal's work um, using film theater, image theater, Theater of the Oppressed, Legislative Theater. And that was when I discovered that everything I've always wanted to do as a child, all the things I've, I've been working towards doing was actually a feud. So what a lecturer was threatening me for back home was actually something Augusto Boal had done when he was alive. So, that actually gave me paradigm shift. Okay, I was actually doing something right. I wasn't, in my mind, I was inventing something because I've never uh, come across it before. Uh, but then I noticed that so many people have been doing the same thing all over the world. So that actually gave me a lot of confidence in, in my work. And going to study at Drama for Life was based on one thing. I was already doing Theater for advocacy, writing plays to of humanity, but I wanted to help more people. I was focusing on mental health. My interest was on mental health. This was a period where insurgency in the northeastern part of Nigeria was on the rise. Uh, a group of religious extremists had um, uh, risen up to start uh, oppressing people in their locality um in the northeastern part of nigeria nigeria is divided into six regions uh we have the southwest the southeast the south south the north central the northeast and the northwest and uh, these are 36 states and the federal capital cities making 37 cities in nigeria and each of the states has a minimum of 20 um it's called local government in Nigeria. Um, I don't know what, what that is called in, in the US. So Nigeria is big, but uh, the insurgency was in, so this was in 
Nigeria has over 774 local governments. This insurgency was happening in um, about 10 to a maximum of 20 local governments. Uh -huh. Of course, the news was carrying out, oh, there's conflict in Nigeria, but it was like one, it wasn't up to one tenth of the regions in Nigeria that was having this uh, issue. Uh, so I wanted to help people because I knew that I, I really lost my father at the age of nine. No one ever cared about my mental health as a child. No one asked the question of, well, how do you feel as a child not being uh, without a father? There are a lot of situations and cases that also happened uh, prior to my studying at Trauma for Life. There was um, a couple of plane crash um, um, in some parts in, in, in Nigeria, I think it was 2006. A, a, a couple of plane crashes actually left a lot of families uh, without their relatives, without their children. And the normal thing at that point was, in my country at that point was, once anything disaster, natural or man-made disaster happens, people just say, oh, let's just pray to God, be mad, um, let's move on. People donate materials, people donate relief materials, they provide shelter, but nobody ever cared about the mental health of victims of, of survivors. Just, okay, just move on. And that, for me, I felt like a lot of people bottle up emotions. So, and that happening in the Northeast of Nigeria with the conflict with Boko Haram insurgency, I knew that someday, the surgency would reduce and people would be asked to move on. And I wanted to do something to help people not just move on, but to heal before they move on. So that was what prompted me to go and study applied drama and theater in, in South Africa. And then uh, when I got to South Africa, and um, I, I was doing applied drama, I, and I was exposed to applied improv, uh, what we do improvisational theater. I also, um, because I did a lot of work around um, Augusto Boal's um, games for actors and non-actors, and I tried to say, how can I use these games to help uh, humanity? Uh, I also came in contact with playback theater. With playback, uh, with playback theater, yes. So when I when I saw play my first. Uh, uh, a counter with Playback Theatre as an audience member, I knew that this is a performance that I need. This is a performance that, that would help people share their personal stories. This is therapeutic. What I wanted to do was use do art therapy, art-based therapy, and this is Playback Theatre, which is art-based therapy. So I, I, I went online, did some research, read about playback theater, watch videos. Luckily for me, uh, that period I was, I was doing a scripted play on children's rights. And what I would do was I would write the play, send it to Nigeria to um, one of my former lecturers who, who is still very close to me and ask her to please conduct an audition for me and direct the play. And I would travel to Nigeria and take the play on a tour to cities. So I would write plays on children's rights, send it, the direct it, and I'll take the play on cities and show in major cities, invite audience members, invite students from schools to come and watch. So that period, I was going back to Nigeria to do that. So when I got back to Nigeria, I said, oh, I just saw about this. I just read about this theater, and I just did my little research, uh, playback theater. Um, I want us to try it and see if this will work for work in Nigeria. Uh, and then I I didn't really have a good knowledge or understanding of what playback theater was, but the little I could do, I I I told my actor I said let's open our performance by hearing from the audience how they are feeling today. So the performance before we did the main play, which was the scripted play. I opened up the show with playback theater and people loved it. So I said to myself, because the, the, the reservation I had was that 
most Nigerians like to bottle up issues and emotions. So they wouldn't want to talk about their stories. They want to share their stories and say, okay, that's nothing. So let me see if this will work. And they did. I spoke with someone. I said, oh, this is very wonderful. This is a wonderful idea. So I went back to South Africa. I attended a workshop with um, Veronica Nida, who heads the UK um, London School of Playback Theatre. I did a workshop with her. And then I wrote to Jonathan Fox. I said, I want to do more in playback theater. And then uh, made an arrangement that I was going to go to the Center for Playback Theater in the US to study playback theater. And then I was eventually um, able to. So when I finished my master's, uh, I went to the US. Uh, before I even did my core training, I'd made contact with playbackers around the world. Um, made playback, uh, made contact with playback playbackers in in the in the US most especially, and I'd written to them. I said I want to pay your company visits on a on a learning visit. Uh, I want to see what playback theater is, um, how you operate the business side of playback theater also, and also the artistic side of playback theater. So I got trained first by doing internship with True Story Theater in Boston. Uh, USA, and then I, I traveled to Memphis, Tennessee, uh, where uh, Playback Memphis is. I learned so much from them. I did an internship with them and learned Playback Theater, and then also learned the business of Playback Theater and also um, from, from Playback Memphis. And then I did my core training at the same period at the Center for Playback Theater. I did my active conducting training uh, I did my um, uh, building the community um, training in playback theater. When I visited, I, I was able to attend um, playback theater camp, um, so just to develop my own skills. And on the other side, I was also uh, practicing improvisation. Uh, when I was in, I was in Serbia, um, and then I met someone who. Or a playback theater camp, and I met someone who came, who just came in from the AIN conference to Serbia. I said, "Oh, she just finished." I said, "Oh, I do this. I use games to help people. Uh, I use games for team building and collaboration and things like that." I said, "Oh, that's applied improv. Um, there's a conference. Why not register for it?" And um, that was how I got um, I got involved in applied improv. So I was doing improvisation. Uh, I got in, involved in applied improv, went to Irvine, um, California um, for the conference. And then um, I couldn't go to Paris because I was I was in Bulgaria uh, um, doing wow. playback. So I was doing both playback and improv. Uh, so today my work is actually based on but playback theater, medical improv, applied improvisation, improvisational theater, and theater for social change. So I do prison theater, I go to hospitals and work. Uh, I've had the privilege of working in, um, not working basically, but rendering uh, my service in, um, in, um, um, in hospitals and prisons, in um, nursing homes, but in, even in the US. Um, I'd worked in nursing homes. I've done a couple of improvisational um, workshops um, in, 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 in nursing homes in the US. Um, I've led workshops in um, about 12 states in the US. I've led workshops in, in the UK, in Bulgaria, in Serbia, um, in South Africa. And uh, today also, I serve on the board of the Center for Playback Theater, uh, which is the original company uh, that started the Playback Theater by Jonathan Fox, the founder of Playback Theater. I have also um, um, I also serve on the board of the AIN, the Applied Improvisational Network, and then I um, happen to have done workshops. Um, medical improv workshop in Ghana uh, with participants from about 25 African nations, nurses, um, from, um, and I've also worked with um, nurses in Nigeria. 
um, training medical info workshops, training on relationship, communication, trust, uh, and, um, and uh, dignity, basically, in the workspace for, for nurses and medical improv. And um, I, I'm so blown away. We haven't even finished everything. I'm so blown away by what you, the work you've been doing. I don't know if you know that I, I do improv fit for therapists and I do improv therapy with my patients. I'm a psychotherapist. I'm also trained as a social worker. So when I discovered Boel, it was like, wow, this is kind of what I want to do. Um, and I work with, I work with people with disabilities and things like that. Um, but you've gone so far beyond that. I'm just uh, in awe of everything you're doing and you haven't told me everything yet, but I feel very connected to the humanitarian part of you and the therapeutic part of you or the mental health aspect because it's so important. And you're talking about children's rights at an early age. We still have paddling of children in schools in, in my state, Florida. We still have paddling, which is horrific, but anyway, Enough about me. Let's get back to you. Um, but let me. Do you have any? I know you're married. Do you have any children? I'm not yet. Well, I, I just got married uh, last year, and that's the picture of that. my wife and I. Uh, just uh -huh. down there. Uh, up there. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. So, so you did all. And when you first came to the United States, what was it like for you the first time that you were in the U.S. Because you had been in Europe and Africa nations, but what was the U.S. like to you when you first got there? My my first time in the U.S. was in 2012. Um, I was in um, I was in the I was in New York. I was in Detroit. I stayed longer in Detroit. Um, it was really wonderful. Um, the 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 culture shock the culture shock was of course there. Uh, but of course, um, unlike Americans, sorry to say, uh, that know a little bit about Nigeria, uh, <laughs> uh, we know a lot about Americans and Americans and America and um, the Western world in, in general. So apart from the, the fact that it was winter, uh, it was, Detroit was a black, is a black community mostly. Um, so um, there was no, there were, I had a lot of Nigerians around. I could eat Nigerian food and I had some Chinese food. Uh, I think one of the key things that was, that was amazing for me was the fact that everything was just expensive. Uh, I remember we, we had to um, rent an apartment to stay and it was about $5,000 for a month thereabouts uh, in Detroit. And I'm like, $5,000 that will pay five years of my house rent in Nigeria. <laughs> uh, in those, in those uh, period. But uh, the winter was Detroit. Uh, I think where we were in Detroit was very close to the border to Canada. I can't really remember. I, I haven't been to Detroit in uh, couple of years now. I think last time I passed, I just passed through Detroit on, in, in transit. Um, it was it was it was superb. Uh, the in terms of law enforcement, where I remember we had to go to a military museum. I can't remember where it was now. This was 2012, almost 10 years now. Uh, we had to go to the military museum and uh, the like we I had a car or a bus and then the light was bad, the full light was bad, or the dim light was bad, we only had the full light. And we're all scared that, oh, if the police arrest, stops us and arrest us because we're driving at night with a bad headlamp. Uh, it was, I think it was, it was really an exciting moment um, for me. Uh, one of the key things for me is I try to travel, I try to know places and learn about places um, I've been to about 12 cities in the United States. Um, I, I, I've been to Rhode Island, New York, um, Indiana, Chicago, North Carolina, uh, Olympia, that's uh, Washington State, Portland, Oregon. Memphis is my second home. Um, so, uh, and I have, I've been to Boston. Did I mention Rhode Island? I've been to Schenectady. 
No, I've had to travel from New York City to uh, Albany, Schenectady, and travel from Schenectady to Rhode Island and back to Rhode Island. And um, <laughs> I, I, I've been to, I think I've been to more US states than I've been to to some, no, no, I've been to more states in Nigeria. Nigeria has 36 states and I've been to 18 states uh, in Nigeria. I've just been to, US has 50, I guess. US yeah, has 50 and I've been to just 12. Uh, I have friends all over. I have friends in the US. I have, I, I think for me, uh, my most preferred state or my home state in, um, in the US is Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. I have friends there. I have, yeah, yeah. I have people I'm going to be very um, familiar, uh, uh, familiar to me. Um, I think I also prefer Portland, Oregon, because um, that's for me. That's where my U.S. parents are. Uh, that's Patrick Short and Rich Jenkins that runs at CSA Portland. Uh, I used to have a cat there in Portland, Oregon, which, which is now late. Um, Flanders died this year, and I have a couple of friends. I've also taught at, um, I've led workshops alongside Patrick uh, at uh, Intel in Portland, Oregon, and I've taught playback theater also in Portland, Oregon. I've done improv theater in Portland, Oregon. So that's that's my. Then we can talk about Boston. Boston is also so. My home states in the US has been um, um, Memphis, Portland, Boston. Um, then other states can come, can come and, after. Where did you, where did you study when you were in Boston? Um, I was in um, True Story Theater. So that's on Massachusetts. Is that Massachusetts Avenue? Very close to Harvard. Uh, I'm not really familiar with. Uh, Areas now, but very, I know it's a walking distance. I've had to walk to Ab Abad from, from um, True Story Theater um, on several occasions. That's Abad University. And also, I did my first um, skydiving in the US. Um, I'm sorry, your first what? Your first what? I skydived. <gasps> wow. And it was a wonderful experience for me. Um, now, when somebody told you you couldn't sing, I was told I couldn't sing at an early age, and I study a lot of musical improv. And you know, in musical improv, you don't have to have a great voice, you have to have a commitment and love to play. And so, have you done any musical improv at all? Well, um, I, I do try to sing, uh, but I, I feel that, um, in a way, uh, they're right <laughs> that uh, I, I'm not too gifted with, um, with um, timing in terms of um, um, rhythm and then also in terms of um, the voice. So I can sing. When I want to improvise, but how does it sound to you? It sounds so wonderful to me. I invite you to sing more because you're not a bore. In fact, you're an amore to me. It sounds so wonderful to you. So wonderful. Beautiful. So you can do musical improv. So yeah. Now, do you do any movement or dance at all? You said you talked um, about rhythm, maybe having a little trouble with rhythm, did you say? Yes, I do have uh, troubles with rhythm. So dance and music is not something I, I, I easily jump into. I do dance because I just want to be expressive but not because I want to be performative. So sometimes I just dance, but then I dance out of rhythm, but then I, that, at that period, I know that I'm just trying to be, to be um, extraordinary. Yeah, so I, I try to know my, and, and I know it's not, it's not it, as improvisers, we shouldn't say that we have limits. Uh, we should always push ourselves beyond our limits, 
but I, I know what I'm very talented at. I know things that I take extra efforts to do. And I think singing and dancing is something I actually take extra effort to do. Well, um, I had another question and uh, uh, I mean, movement is just movement too. I mean, we can move and express ourselves non-verbally. Oh, I wanted to ask you, have you studied much of Viola Spolin? who's considered kind of the mother of improv in our country, like Keith Johnstone in the UK. Yes, um, I, I've actually had to use uh, some of the works, uh, some of the um, games of uh, Kate, Kate Johnstone and Berlin um, uh, in some of my work. And also, of course, I've had to use some of the works of um, uh, Augusto Boal um in 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 my work and the way i also present my work is based on the aim the the aim i want to achieve at the end of the day so sometimes um i i use um i use from theater for example uh i use uh Augusto Ball's games in 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 um in my work. One of the reasons I mentioned Viola Spolin is she has a whole section about approval disapproval. And when you were speaking about acting and that you weren't interested in being a celebrity and being recognized, you didn't need the approval of people to do your work. And yes. that's a powerful thing to be aware of that you're not concerned with approval. You're concerned with humanity and helping people. Yeah. Um, so where can people, what are, you, what are you doing now and what are your plans? I think you're going to be running for political office in your country. Oh, uh, well, presently I am I'm really involved in developing my theater and also developing uh, info theater and playback theater. I happen to be the only one doing improv and playback theater in Nigeria. Now, people do improvisation in theater, which is different from improvisational theater uh, in Nigeria. So um, I happen to be the only one. With, I, I work with an organization called Playback Nigeria, and then we are the only one that do playback theater in Nigeria. In fact, in the all of West Africa, we are the only one that do playback theater. And then also uh, applied improvisation um, so what I my my aim as the CEO of Playback Nigeria is to spread this wonderful methodology across the African continent. Uh, we have when you look at the map of improvisation, you see that Europe and America has the highest um, number of practitioners. So my aim is to encourage a lot of people uh, on the African continent. Um, to do improv and to do playback theater. Um, I, I started this by going to Ghana about two years ago before the COVID pandemic. Um, I, I, I led workshops in Ghana at the University of Ghana, got people to get to introduce playback theater and improvisational theater to, to some of the students at the University of Ghana. Uh, it's something I really have um, a desire I really have uh, an interest in doing is to spread this wonderful work. I've been limited a lot by finances, been limited by, uh, of course, if you want to go to all those places, you have to um, get etiquette, accommodation, even if some of them you might not need visas or some of them you need visas, uh, but also to establish, my, my, my dream and my desire is actually to take uh, playback theater and improvisational theater uh, across the board. What I've been able to achieve so far is that I have uh, introduced, I've been able to introduce improvisational theater to a number of a number of young people. 90% uh, of the people I work with presently are, are, are students, are young people below the age of 18. And for me, what I'm trying to do is to raise up the cycles uh, who are doing improv or who can do improv, who can learn improv. 
I always use the POV of the, of the dry fish in my teaching of impulse. I refer to the adults as the dry fish that are used to a regular way of doing theater. And it's very, it's not very easy to um, straighten the dry fish. You need to dip it in water. But if you look at the kids, their fresh fish, you can, um, sorry, just hold on. Could you pause your recording? I just lost my power. How was I? Um, your vision and what you want to do, spreading playback three around. So the what world. I've done, what I've done so far, is that um, I've tried to train. I I run theater classes, improv theater classes for young people, and the idea is I want to be able to train them so that in the next five, six, seven, ten years, they become uh, experts in improvisational theater. Um, and then we able to do improv. I personally work as an island, apart from the people that work with me. Um, I want to have people who can do this all over. So we've had to organize some camps, summer camps, Easter camps. Uh, it's not been easy uh, being an island doing um, theater in a different way um, in, in Nigeria. So there's more to be done. Uh, unfortunately, we lack, we, uh, we lack the the resources to, to do as much as we can, or we're trying our best to do as much as we are able to do. So with the pandemic, are you doing things on Zoom? Are you teaching on Zoom? What's, what's that been like for you? Yes, with the pandemic, uh, I had to move online. I started also started a playback theater company online. Uh, with members from about 10 to 15 nations, um, about 10 uh, different countries. We meet every Tuesday. Uh, we do playback theater online. It's called Playback for People. Um, so, and we perform in different communities. We have people from India, actors from India, Malaysia, US, UK, Italy, Netherlands, as part of our ensemble, um, which is something we did. Also, I, I, I run an annual children's theater festival uh, with participation of over 1,000 children yearly before COVID. Uh, this year, we had to move online and we're having the um, International Children's Theater Festival with participation um, from uh, about, we have facilitators from about 13 countries this year who have been for the past 10 weeks um, training children from all over Nigeria, India, Nepal, US, UK, Germany, Israel, training them in improvisation, uh, in improv, playback, and other forms of theater, shadow theater, and other forms of theater. And they are going to be performing at the International Children's Theater Festival on the 27th and 28th of May uh, this year. So that's basically um, one of the things I've had to do. Um, luckily, um, we have been able to, after one year, we've been able to go back to physical classes. So about two or three weeks ago, I started my physical classes Wonderful. in Nigeria. Wonderful. And, uh, and I've had to start up taking improv again. That's beautiful. Now your Tuesday playback, how do people audition to get into your group? Um, we, we've not had any new members, um, in one year because we, we made it open for people to join. I, when I had the idea of doing playback, um, for during the pandemic was supposed to be a, as a form of therapy for actors, um, do, so I invited, I, I made an open call for people who are interested in being part of it. And a couple of people showed interest. And um, I think I'm the only one that I've met about two of, most of them haven't met each other. So it's online. I'm the only one that I've met about a, a couple of, of the actors in there. And then we came up together and we said, okay, we're gonna be meeting every Tuesday um, at a particular time. We're gonna be rehearsing and performing for different communities at least once in a, in a year. We've had performances where people come in but we've not had a, a, an open call for additional um, ensemble members um, in one year. I know a couple of people have made attempts to um, 
to we, we we don't have a leader we don't have a leader in the company we all have suggestions and we vote on it and anyone who is available for shows um would be able to pay but we've not had uh, any reason to call for new members um in the past one year <laughs> i understand but of course we, we open our shows for everyone to come in to see Okay. Um, okay. So how can people reach you? They want to know more. I'm going to put some information about you in the text that accompanies our podcast, but how can people learn more about you? Um, uh, I'm an open book. Um, I announce most of my programs on social media. So I'm on social media. Um, my social media handle uh, for my work is Playback Nigeria. So um at playback nigeria uh, it's one word at playback nigeria that's that's the social media handle so if you go on google and just put playback nigeria it will bring out um my company's work um our, our twitter handle is at playback nigeria uh instagram is at playback nigeria our youtube is playback nigeria tv facebook is at playback nigeria website is playbacknigeria.com and my personal handle is uh, damilola underscore a that's d-a-m-i-l-o-l-a underscore a um and then i think that's the that's that's the easiest way um i'll just put my name on 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 uh, on um google and to bring out my name just type um damilola playback nigeria well, you've inspired me to go to YouTube and find some of your other work there as well. So I'm very excited about that. I have been so, this has been such a lovely talk. And I hope maybe we can speak again sometime um, because there's so much more I want to learn about you. It's wonderful. So for, you know, starting as a child like you did, I, I, I don't know, prodigy, savant, I don't know if those words have been applied to you, but being being in this for so can I ask how old are you now? I'm 32, I'll be 33 by am I 33 or going to 34? How old am I? Uh, I, <laughs> I think I'm <laughs> <laughs> I stopped I I stopped counting my age. I stopped counting my age a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter anyway. Well, Thank you so much for being our guest. I'm, I'm 33. I'm going to be 34 by December. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's so much more to do. I've enjoyed speaking to you so much. It's uh, been a complete honor for me. So thank, thank you so much, Margot. Thank you for your time. And you. uh, we'll say adieu for now, um, perhaps. But see you again, I hope. I hope so. Too. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.